Good morning and welcome to Sermons from San Diego, a podcast of preaching at Mission Hills United Church of Christ. And welcome to this new season in the church year. We are now in the season of Advent. I'm the Reverend Dr. David Barr, but please just call me David. I invite you to listen and come along as we try to follow the teachings of Jesus and the wisdom of Scripture to build a world that is more inclusive, just, open, and compassionate. And now for this week's sermon. And the angel Gabriel said, Don't be afraid. God has heard your prayer. Elizabeth will have a son, and you shall name him John. And you know what Zechariah said next? Do you expect me to believe this? So sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful birth. Well, not a tale, and not a fantasy, but a gospel. Good news that Luke sat down and took great pains to put together for a man he called the most honorable Theophilus. A story by Luke about Jesus that doesn't start with Jesus, but the messenger before him whose birth was improbable. Born of a couple too old to conceive, prompting the sentiment, Do you expect me to believe this? Too old to conceive. If that sounds vaguely familiar, it's supposed to. Luke makes a connection that Abraham and Sarah were also too old to conceive. And you heard their story this summer. 90-year-old Sarah improbably gave birth to a child named Isaac, whose son was Jacob and onward. The beginning of a line of descendants so large it's like trying to count the stars in the night sky. That whole story we followed has continued here with Zechariah in the line of descendants from one of Jacob's twelve sons named Levi. Elizabeth, too, by the way, was in this line, a descendant directly through Aaron, which was even more special. So most of Jacob's sons had been designated a piece of land. But everyone in the line from his son Levi were to be priests, dispersed among all the tribes. Now, they were not priests because they individually felt a special calling from God. It was their family business. No son ever sat under the stars, looking up and wondering what he might do when he grew up, although it wasn't a full-time profession in the way we might think. So about every six months, among hundreds of priests, a division would serve for a week. But an individual would only go into the inner sanctuary if chosen by lot. That means randomly chosen. It might be a once-in-a-lifetime privilege. And Zechariah happened to be chosen that day. Although with God, things like that are rarely random, a coincidence. But imagine his joy over such an incredible honor. He would have been as giddy as he was reverent, and he would have expected to be alone with his thoughts, which made Gabriel's presence even more shocking. Not to mention Gabriel's improbable news, to which Zechariah exclaimed, Do you expect me to believe this? Gabriel responded indignantly, Don't you know who I am, you ungrateful peon? Well, not really. But he did offer his credentials. I am Gabriel, the sentinel of God, sent especially to you to bring this good news. 
before adding, but because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time. God's time. And with that, Gabriel left. Zechariah emerged from the inner sanctuary looking dazed, and the congregation, which had wondered what was taking so long, saw that something incredible had happened. They could see on his face that he had had a vision. But when he tried to talk, to explain what had just happened, no words would come from his mouth. He was literally speechless, and he communicated with them with his hands. Bewildered by it all, he finished up his week at the temple and returned home. <clears throat> now, who do you suppose told Elizabeth? There's no mention in scripture of the angel stopping by and letting her know in advance. By the way, you'll soon be pregnant. You know, with Sarah, at least she overheard a conversation between Abraham and some traveling strangers. She eavesdropped and laughed to herself. She didn't ask, do you expect me to believe this, even if that's what her laugh meant? But at least she and Abraham could whisper to one another late at night when no one else could hear them discussing something so absurd. Elizabeth and Zechariah couldn't talk. But somehow, she knew. Perhaps not even surprised. She said to no one in particular, maybe just to herself, so, this is how God has removed the disgrace I've been burdened with by other people's judgments. Yes, of course, in those days, if a woman didn't have children, it was her fault. Not for some biological reason, but some sin or character flaw. A disgrace. A punishment. A belief not so far from the service, surface even today. Never, of course, a mention that men had any role or responsibility for pregnancy or lack thereof. But it is a beautiful line. This is how God has removed the disgrace I've been burdened with by other people's judgments. She knew the burden wasn't of God, it was people judging her. But back to Zechariah. Some people say his inability to speak was punishment for doubt. But must we always explain why things happen as punishment? Maybe this silence was a recognition of something extraordinary, too important for mere talking, a time when speech itself is pregnant, waiting for the fullness of time. And so Elizabeth conceived and went off by herself for five months. And where or specifically why, we don't know. But, you know, since Zechariah couldn't speak, it wasn't to escape his incessant chatting. You know, the kind of retirement, go get a hobby, I need some peace and quiet. And after five months, Elizabeth finally went back home. And the next month she was overjoyed to see her favorite, much younger cousin Mary walking toward the house. Except that this not-yet-married teenage girl was walking toward her house with a baby bump. I could imagine Elizabeth seeing her condition and fearing the worst. The same kind of disgraceful looks by neighbors that Elizabeth had been burdened with. 
She stood ready to offer Mary the unconditional love she knew no one else would give. But Mary told Elizabeth, it's okay. She was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And Elizabeth knew immediately she was right. It was just as improbable and wonderful as her own pregnancy. And Elizabeth's baby jumped for joy in her womb upon hearing Mary's voice. Mary stayed until Elizabeth gave birth, and then she went back to Nazareth. When Elizabeth gave birth to a son, her family and neighbors were overjoyed and celebrated with her. When they all went to the, his circumcision eight days later, they expected the baby to be called Zechariah after his father. She said, no, his name shall be John. And those celebrating family and neighbors stopped smiling and looked at each other suspiciously. Delicately, they asked, honey, who is John? Why would, your name, why would you name your baby John when there are no other Johns in our family tree? Is this not Zechariah's son? So they turned to him and asked what he wanted the baby's name to be. He, wrote, he asked for a tablet and wrote, John. The time for his pregnancy, nine months without speech, had now been fulfilled. His mouth opened, his tongue unloosened, and he began praising God. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who came to set the people free. Deliverance from our enemies and every hateful hand. Through the heartfelt mercies of our God, the sunrise will break in upon us. Shining on those in darkness, those sitting in the shadow of death, my child shall prepare the way for salvation. He will show us the way, one foot at a time, down the path of peace. The crowd marveled, and a deep, reverential fear settled all over the Judean hill country. People could talk about nothing else. All they could say is, what will become of this child? Clearly, God's hand is in this. And 30 years later, this John would be known as the Baptist, the baptizer, offering people a way to begin again, unburdened from disgrace and judgments, like his mother. He preached a fresh start through forgiveness. Forgiveness from our own past faults and failures, and he was clear his role was to prepare the way for his cousin Jesus. Every year we come around to these same stories, somehow always fresh, somehow always relevant. This Advent, when we watch the news and hear the horrors of war, we might wonder how a weary world can be hopeful. Do you expect me to believe this? With our own personal tragedies and health and strained relationships, it's hard to feel cheerful especially when we talk with family or neighbors who are just as fiercely polarized as in Washington. How can a weary world rejoice this Advent? Many people are not feeling very optimistic about a lot of things. But Dr. Cornell West explains how hope and optimism are different. Optimism tends to be based on the notion that there's enough evidence out there to believe things are going to be better. At this moment in history, though, that's a hard sell. 
But Dr. West describes how hope looks at the evidence and says it doesn't look good. Doesn't look good at all. Hope goes beyond the evidence to create new possibilities based on visions that become contagious enough to allow people to engage in heroic actions always against the odds. No guarantee whatsoever. That's hope. That's the possibility Elizabeth knew was real. Well, Zechariah asked, do you expect me to believe this? Elizabeth said, yes, absolutely. And believe this, God loves taking unlikely and ordinary people facing daunting or impossible obstacles to do extraordinary things through them. Ordinary people like you and me who say yes despite not seeing a way forward, who can't seem to overcome an impediment, especially those created by the judgments of other people. Now, God loves to surprise the world. And that's why I can say, without a doubt, Luke is not telling a tale or selling a fantasy, but proclaiming gospel. You and I may not feel optimistic right now, but hear the good news. The more improbable hope may seem, the more possible it becomes. Can you dare believe it?